Welcome to CCO Podcast, calling college students to serve Jesus Christ with their entire lives. All right, you guys are the superstars who uh, had your bags packed on time. Great work. You woke up early on Sunday morning of Jubilee. Good job. Uh, my name is Jamie Dawn, and I have been working for the CCO for the last 12 years, um, and it, I'm really excited about this morning. Um, it is just the desire of my heart to see revival on every campus. I, I get emotional just thinking about it. Um, and so I, um, I'm excited that you're here because I see in this room like seeds of what God can do um, in the lives of other people and um, in the in the nation. So we're going to talk today about the way that God has moved in the past on college campuses and um, and what we can learn from that. The way that God um, like patterns His work in the earth. Um, I want to start with a verse from Ephesians. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I think too often we lower our expectations and our understanding of what God can and will do on our campuses um, to what we've seen or what people have said is possible rather than what Ephesians says, which is that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, um, more than we can even begin to imagine is what God is able to do in and through your life on your campus. And so uh, my hope this morning is that as we think about the way that God has moved, that we would raise our expectation level because God wants to do more than we can imagine. And if we can imagine what God has done, then that expands our capacity for what we can ask or think of as we pray with the Lord. Um, and so I want to um, think with you about, I don't know what you, when you read this session, I don't know what you thought of when you heard the word revival, but I kind of love this definition from a student who was a part of a revival at Asbury College. Um, revival is an abrupt awakening with profound belief and connection to God that compels one to tell others as well. And I think that's pretty simple, concise. We'll get to what that has looked like on campuses. Um, but we, we don't get there without prayer. So, spoiler alert, that's one of the ways that God <laughs> works in revival. Um, and prayer paves the way for what God is going to do. It's a forerunner into the possibilities of what God is and will do. Um, and so, I think sometimes even the idea of prayer, I don't know what your story is, I don't know what your experience has been like, but even prayer we don't always have like a clear understanding or maybe even a definition of what that is. And I think prayer is growing in agreement and our understanding of our identity and freedom in Christ and conforming our desires accordingly. 
Like, we grow in our understanding of who God even is as we approach him in prayer. And um, prayer helps us see God accurately. Like, when we approach the throne of grace boldly, as the book of Hebrews tells us, we get a better picture of who God actually is. We get a more accurate picture of the one that we're praying to, the God who hears us and answers. Um, when we see like the majesty of Jesus, when we're praying to him and realizing the one who created the stars holds my life, like we have to stop and think, I see God for who he really is. And then we remember Jesus, the only one who could pay the ultimate price and be a sufficient sacrifice for us is worthy of me pouring out my life. And the more that we grow in prayer and the more that we see God in those moments, the more we can't help but say, like, behold, the Lamb of God. And it becomes this cry of our heart as we give ourselves to prayer. And so I think the more we see Jesus accurately, the more we live into what the book of Romans says is the only reasonable response. That when we look at God and all of his mercies in our lives and to the world, we can't help but say, I have to give my life to him. I have to give my life, my everyday waking, sleeping, going to school life to the Lord in an act of worship. It's our reasonable response to worship. Um, and the more we see God for who he really is, the more we pray, like what I like to think of as God-sized prayers. I think so often we lower our expectation and our imagination, and when we see God more accurately, we're able to get outside of our own futile thinking, Romans says, and we get to pray prayers that are actually more in line with who God is and more in line with the possibilities of what he wants to do. Um, Ultimately, prayer is communion with the Lord. It's about relationship. It's about friendship with God and growing in our friendship with him. Um, And what happens when you grow in intimacy with anyone? You grow in sharing their heart, right? The more you grow in friendship with someone, the more you start really simple things. You like watch the same show as them because they started talking about it, right? You think about things that they do. All of these kinds of things are the things that shape us when we spend time with someone. And the more that we are growing in our intimacy and our friendship with God, the more we begin to share God's heart for the world, and for people in our lives. And so um, prayer like also draws upon the grace of Jesus to do what he calls us to do. And so when we think about the ways that God invites us into his work in the world, prayer is what gives us the empowerment of heaven to do the things that God calls us to. I think Acts 1 through 4 is such a good illustration that prayer is both like the response to God and God answering our prayer. So Jesus tells them, go and pray, and they do it because they saw the resurrected Christ, and they pray, and God answers with power in Pentecost, right? So we see like throughout scripture that prayer is this really 
connected part of God, this growing in friendship. And it's also the power to do all the things that God wants us to do in the earth. Um, I found this quote about revival. It's a lot of like big words, but I love it. And I think it's so perfect for Jubilee. Concentration on reformation. So like everything that we talk about here, um, the reformation of culture and seeing every aspect of life as worship. Um, concentration on reformation without revival leads to skins without wine. Concentration on revival without reformation soon loses the wine for want of skins. So this picture is from scripture um, of new wine and wineskins. We don't use wineskins anymore. I'm probably pretty grateful for that. Um, it sounds honestly a little gross, but um, definitely would need like a decanter. Um, but I think this picture is that new wine has to go in a new wineskin because it needs a place to grow. It needs the right place for, you can't use an old wineskin because it's old. It doesn't have the same capacity to do what it's supposed to do anymore. And so if we only focus on like kingdom pursuits without also cultivating a relentless pursuit of the love of God and saying, I want to see revival and the spirit of God come, then we're left with empty containers. Like we have cool structures and we have cool things that we do, but like nothing to fill it. And if all we ever do is just pray and never live into the reality of our prayer and partnering it with action, then we just have like a lot of stuff um, without any containers to pour it into. Like, And so we have to um, have both of these things, right? And this is why Jubilee is ultimately about revival on every campus and you going into all the earth, every aspect of the earth to bring that revival into every place. So um, how did I get passionate about this? When I, people ask me that question and um, I, this sounds really snarky and I actually don't mean it that way. I am a bit snarky, but I, I really don't mean it that way. Um, I became a Christian and I like fell in love with the Bible and I didn't know enough. Like I hadn't been in the church. I didn't have anyone telling me that things stopped working in the Bible. I didn't have anyone to tell me that I should shrink my prayers to like match what other people had seen. I just read the Bible and saw people like doing things and I never saw where Jesus said don't do that anymore. So I just did it. Um, but I also was having these moments where I was like, but I don't see the reality of scripture in my life. And I think we have a choice when we have those moments where we have a disconnect of reading the word of God and seeing that things aren't manifesting in our lives, right? We have the choice to either say, you know what? It must not be like that anymore. It must be like, I guess I'll just lower my expectations to what I see around me. Or we have the choice to say, if God is who he says he is, and this is what he says he'll do, then I won't relent until I see it. And that's just the decision of my life is that I will like not define God on how I've seen him, but how he says he is.
And I won't define what God wants to do based on what I have seen before. Even though, like, what I've seen before is really good. But I haven't seen the fullness of Scripture yet. I haven't seen the fullness of what my heart longs for. And so until that happens, like, the disconnect is the choice to say, God, I will partner with you and your heart until we see these things come to pass. Um, I think the best example of this is in the book of Acts. Um, Honestly, if you've heard me talk, you've probably heard me talk about Acts 17 because I just love it so much. It's such a good picture of revival and an appropriate heart to what we see. So Paul is in this place and it's basically like the college campus of our day. It's part of why I love Acts 17 because... um, He's basically like in a philosophy class. It says that he goes to the center of town where they loved talking about all new ideas. It's like liberal arts 101, basically. Um, And so he's in this place, but he's walking around getting the lay of the land, and he begins to see idols everywhere he goes. And he's like, his heart is provoked within him. And he sees an idol, and it says to an unnamed god. And he sees that as an opportunity. And he says, I can tell you who that is. And so he meets with people and he says, I saw your idol to an unnamed God. And I'd like to tell you that his name is Jesus. The God that you have some sort of concept of. um, I've been provoked as I've walked around looking at all of your idols. And I can't help but tell you the reality of the one who died and was resurrected for you. And so he's walking around, he's getting a heart for a place, and he's provoked to prayer. And I, like, want to challenge you. I don't know how often that happens to you, but I just want to invite you to, like, walk around your campus, pray, and get provoked by all of the idols that you see around campus. And decide that you are going to, like, walk around and pray about those idols and look for opportunities. Paul comes back to them with the poetry of their day. So again, he's not disengaged. He's not like just pouring wine like without anywhere to put it. He has, he's reading poems. We actually have a poem from like the first century that someone who wasn't a Christian yet wrote in our Bible because Paul read it and quoted it. He said, just as your poets say, In him we live and move and have our being, for we are indeed his offspring. And so he's reading the poetry and he's saying, you have some sort of idea, but I would like to help you fill out that idea. And I think that is like the best picture because what happens is, now when some heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Um, So Paul went out from their midst, But some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius and the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So they give their name because they're super powerful. Like, they're not just random people who don't know anything, but they hear Paul talking and they're like, this is compelling. This is truth that I want to get behind. And so they have a change of heart and they come and follow him. And it's a picture of what happens when we give ourselves to prayer and we are provoked by what we see around us and we say yes to God's heart. So um, 
again, we have to like live with this refusal to like settle for anything else. And so I want to talk to you about the way that this has happened in the past. Um, again, to paint a picture for what's possible. And you can't, if you hear these stories and you leave here and you're not excited, come and talk to me because like we should pray. Um, because I'm telling you what God has done on college campuses in the past is amazing. Like you are gathered together. Why why wouldn't God move on a college campus? Like, you're living in the same place together. You're learning about ideas. You're growing into incredible leaders. Like, God can't help but say yes when people cry out to him in this kind of a place. So, um, this one is one of my favorites. Um, Asbury College. This is in 1970. Um, and the fun thing about this is... Because um, of the timing of this, there were enough interviews and stuff. You can spend a lot of time, like if you Google um, Asbury College Revival, there's a lot of really fun interviews you can find. People are still alive talking about it. They just had a big anniversary. Um, And so it's really fun. So they had a college chapel service. And the president of the college uh, was, like, out of town and got a phone call. And he was like, well, this is a weird time to get a phone call. And um, someone was like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know, chapel never ended. Like, hours it's been going. Um, so just thought you should know, like, people aren't going to go home tonight. So that's what's happening. Um, and what provoked it all, listen is a student's sense that he had wasted time and it was now time to go all in with Jesus and invited others to do likewise. Like, that's all it takes is for one person to say, like, I am done with wasting time with half-hearted religion and to say, it's time for me to go all in with Jesus. Um, the president of Asbury in 1970 said, there are many of us that if we had been told this is the way it would happen, this is the way that God would come, we would have said, no, this isn't the way we want him to come. But when he came, there was something deep in the marrow of our bones that said, this is right. And I think there's something so key to catch there, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but like, this it didn't come the way he would have wanted it to. And I think we have to be open to that. And I want to like provoke you to hear more of that. Um, you can pinpoint that students were praying in the residence halls and chapel for God to do what only he can do. This is what stu- former students said. And this honestly has always been a marker to me of God moving in someone's life when like spontaneous prayer and Bible studies and worship break out in dorm rooms. I'm like... Yes, God, you have heard my cry. People are reading their Bibles together in their dorm rooms. You are a God who hears. Um, but what I love about this is people, when they have talked about it, they said, you make a commitment in those moments, the moments where God moves, that don't just last for 1970. They last forever. And mission hospitals, public service, like, Things came out of it, and there was a ripple effect in the community. All these people in the community started coming because chapel service eventually did end, but um, they kept coming back. 
And they kept having these moments of like, we can't help but say yes to God and what he's doing. Um, other college students and other campuses became really impacted. So people started hearing about what God was doing in one place. And the students would go and talk about how they had this sense that they had to be all in with Jesus. And they would go to other campuses. And so if you've ever heard of like Oral Roberts University, there was a big revival on that campus as well. Um, and it was provoked by students from Asbury going there and saying, You'll never believe how good God is, the way that he's coming to us. Um, and uh, Azusa, Greenville, like all these places were having these moments of God pouring out on their campuses because Asbury students were sharing what God was doing. Um, uh, I'll come back to some of that. Uh, Duquesne, are there any Duquesne students in here by chance? Duquesne is here in Pittsburgh, um, and in 1967, there was a revival um, on their campus, and it all started, get this, so fun, again, this is in Pittsburgh, a weekend retreat in February, where people said, I can't help but take God at his word. And so people were talking about the Holy Spirit over the course of the weekend, and um they had decided that in the evening um, they would have what they called a renewal of vows and say, so they'd been talking about the Holy Spirit and they were going to have like a renewal of their yes to the Lord and a particularity of like, yes, Holy Spirit, you can do whatever you want to do in my life, whether it's fun or not, like whether it looks like what I want it to look like, I say a full yes to you. And so they'd planned that that's what was going to happen in the evening. Um, and the water stopped working in their retreat facility. And so they were like, we're probably going to have to go home. And there were two students who were like, no, I said that I was going to say yes to the Holy Spirit tonight, and I'm not going home. And so they were like, well, if people are going home, if the water like doesn't turn on, then I guess we'll just pray that the water turns on. And it did. And so uh, they like they moved themselves. They went up to the chapel. They prayed that the water would turn on, and the water turned on. And so they were like, but people still had kind of, I mean, you know how it is. You're like ready to go. You got your vans packed right now. You're like, I think maybe I'll listen to the main session, right? Like, uh, I'm kind of on the bus already. So people were kind of in that place where they're kind of deciding, like, are we still going to do this tonight? And there were two people, again, that were like, I, if nobody else does this, I will. And they made a decision in that moment. If no one else says yes, I'm staying here, and I'm saying a personal yes to Holy Spirit. And um, a whole charismatic revival like happened out of the this group of students. Um, and I love it because they're just like sitting at dinner together. Um, the, these pictures are hard to see on a screen, but um, like there's something that happens when we get together with a group of people and we just say like, we're all going all in together. Um, and it doesn't like, they're just hanging out together. It's not this why, like, they just said yes. Um, this is a fun one because, again, 
the fruit that comes is so incredible when we are willing to say a full yes to God. So um, this is known as the Haystack Prayer Meeting or the Haystack Revival, and it was at Williams College in 1806. So pretty old. Um, and basically this group of like five guys was super committed to praying and it started raining. And so they were like, guess the prayer meeting is getting rained out. And then they were like, forget it. We are going and we're hiding under a giant haystack. It's so hard for me to even imagine because all I like think of when I hear haystack really is like autumn decor, basically, like a little like thing you put on your porch. And I'm like, but they were hiding behind that from the rain? Like, that doesn't make sense. But this giant haystack, because uh, it's agricultural days, um, and they are like, we are hiding behind here, and we are not moving until God comes. And he did. Um, and so they had this experiential moment with the Lord of him answering their prayers. And out of that, like, entire early missions movements were birthed. If you ever heard of Adoniram Judson, he's basically, he and his wife are like the pioneers of the American missions movement, Western missions, really. Um, and they went to Burma. Um, and were like some of the earliest missionaries from the States, um, with very fruitful, like I'm not talking about our like five day mission trip missions. I'm talking about like giving your life to a country forever, um, at great cost to them, um, because of what they'd experienced out of this prayer meeting behind a haystack, um, my other personal favorite, I live in Washington. I um, was on Washington and Jefferson College campus for 11 years. And um, so in the 1800s, there were like revivals happening at all of the churches nearby. This is in the chapel uh, there. And um, so again, this was totally like the CCO in partnership with all the local churches in the region, college students caught a vision for what God could do. Um, And the thing is, God was moving in such a powerful way that the language that a student used, they decided that they had to become a missionary because um, they said, I breathed the air here. And I thought, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Like, God rested in a place because people said yes in such a way that people were like, I just breathed the air here. Like, I was just here. And, like, again, when you read the history, there's entire missions movements that were birthed out of what God was doing in this city. And so when God, like, moved Literally, nations were impacted by the fruit of it uh, because God moved through some college students. Like, that's amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about, like, what are some of the shared characteristics that we've heard about from these, uh, from Scripture, from all these things? Um, And the number one thing 
that people said was like a shared moment for them was the keen sense that the resurrection power of Jesus is real. Like this idea that God is who he says he is. And um, I love this. It's so simple, but it's so like the pure in heart kind of a moment of an Asbury, a former Asbury student said, there were people who thought this wasn't real, but it was the most real thing we've ever experienced. And I think that is the power of like, when God moves powerfully in our lives, we do have these moments where it's like the same thing that Paul experienced. People mocked him and said, this is craziness. Resurrection? No. And there are others who said this can't, like, this is the realest thing I've ever heard. And that's the the reality of when God moves in a place. Um, One of the huge markers of when God moves in a place powerfully like this is repentance. And I've heard that before, and I've always had a partial picture of this. And um, I don't know if you what you think of when you hear the word repentance. But I definitely just think of like reciting a list of sin, basically. Um, But the word repentance means to turn away and into another. And so when you are, like think about it, you're repenting. When God says repent, the kingdom of God is near, it's turn away from the way you were walking because the way of the kingdom is here. Um, and so when you think about repentance, I definitely think it partially was people realizing my life doesn't match with the worthiness of who Jesus is. And I want my life to match that. Um, and that's for sure a part of it. But um, it also was a repentance in a way of thinking. And one of the things that was so striking to me about reading about the Asbury revival is the language that they used about repentance. Because they would talk about how like all their chapel services were people repenting. And it's like, I don't know, like people just like yelling their sins out or something. But um, they were deciding in that same way that I read to you the quote from the college student there who said, I had lived partially for God and I wanted to be all in. It was this moving away from small-minded thinking is the way that they described it into kingdom thinking. And I think that is super striking about the way that God moves is that we have to be people who are getting and living into the mind of Christ that the Bible says that we have. And so we have to turn away from small-minded thinking, whether it's about the possibilities of what God wants to do or it's about who God is. We have to move away from small-minded thinking. Um, Again, it's this invitation to more. We are invited to consider the depths of God's love and that there is like more to following him than I think we often consider. I think we often put God in a, a little box and we're like, I have my quiet time and maybe I'll like read a book that I bought from Byron and I, I'm good to go. 
read my Bible a little bit. I'm good. And God has so much more for us that we would plumb the depths of who he is and to say, God, I want you in every aspect of my life. I don't just want to read a book about like an idea of you in the classroom. I want to experience you in the classroom. I don't just want like an idea of what it looks like to have friendships that are rooted in Christ. I want to live it. I want to experience what it is when I talk to my friend about their depression and we don't just like have an idea of a conversation that maybe God could do something, but I actually walk with them until we see the reality of peace and the lightness of Jesus come into their life. Like, that's what God has possible for us, that we would go and journey with people and be with Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Um, This quote on the screen says, I'm not leaving this place until I find peace. And I think there is something about these revivals of history that are a perseverance to knock and keep knocking. And scripture like points to those moments of God saying, I can't help but answer you. Like when you just keep knocking like that, I definitely say yes. Um, and I think honestly, that's something that we've lost a little bit in our culture that we, um, are, it's hard for us to say yes to something over and over again. I mean, look at your like fellowship group in the beginning of a semester and the end of a semester, right? You're like, we had 20 people at Bible study, and on week four, we got five of us. And I'm not saying the five don't matter, but I am saying we struggle a little bit with perseverance. Um, but there's a common denominator when we look at revivals um, in history of a group of people who say yes to the Holy Spirit and whatever he wants to do and who keep saying yes. Like, that is what it is to press in for that. Um, and so I want to talk about, like, what could it look like for us to carry and embody these things that we've seen, these common denominators. Um, And I think one of them is that there is a cost to surrender. And we have to be willing to pay the cost of being misunderstood, of like, can you imagine? I mean, we know the other side of the story of the Asbury student who like looked like a loon running to the front of a service saying, I have been living half-hearted and I can't do it anymore. Like, can you imagine that moment of him saying yes to that? And at any cost? Like, I can tell you there were definitely people there that misunderstood him and thought, Somebody had a really stressful exam. Like, someone had snapped. And um, and there were other people who saw the reality of what he was doing and were provoked by it. And there were other people who said, you're right, I can't help but go all in with Jesus either. But, like, we have to be willing to be that person who's also willing to be misunderstood. When Jesus comes in these moments, he comes to clarify who he is, and we have to be willing to surrender the idea of who we thought he was. 
And there are moments where God comes to us in prayer. There are moments when God comes to us in power, in a community. And we have to be willing to say, I actually had been keeping God in a box, and I don't want to do it anymore. But it costs us something. Because we have to say, like, I actually was wrong. Like, I actually had a small-minded way of viewing God. Um, And, like, again, we have to be willing to be someone who says, I'm actually not leaving this place until God moves. Like, when is the last time when we did something for, like, two hours in a row? I can't even, like, watch a movie half the time anymore. I'm, like, fidgeting, pausing, like, I... But we have to live with a fortitude in our hearts to say, I am going after this, and I'm not going to quit until I see it. And we have to be the people who are saying, like, I'm going to press into God's presence for hours. I don't even know what that could look like on your campus for you, but I do know that God will move when you do that. When you, like, say, I'm not leaving this place until I see God move, he will answer. Um, the number one thing that I, like, if you only left here with one point, it would be this. Every revival has this in common. One person or a small group of people who say yes at any cost. And, like, you are carrying everything that you need. Like, Holy Spirit inside of you is enough. And one person saying, I want to see God move in ways that I've yet to see him move on my campus is enough. And, like, I just always think of it like this. Your sphere of influence, your campus, your region is one person away from sparking revival. And why wouldn't it be you? Like, why wouldn't God use you? And I think um, this can sound challenging, but at some point, like, we just have to live as if revival is already here. And I think there's something to that that can sound like pretending to people, but it's a decision to say, I'm actually living where nothing else defines the way that I'm walking. I'm actually going to not wait for the perfect moment to share my faith with that person in my class because I'm not waiting for like the weighty glory of God to come into the room. I'm just deciding God will move when I say yes to sharing my faith with that person. God will move when I say yes to that. Like, it's a conviction to do that. I think so often I've heard people, like, say, you know, when other people do this, like, when I live in a community that's really free, then I'll be free too. Like, oh, you think? Because I don't think that's how it works. I think, like, we don't just wake up one day and decide, this is enough. I've decided there are enough people around me that are pursuing faith, and now I'll do it. Um, You know, like, can I tell you a secret? What you experience in Jubilee worship 
It's actually possible for you to have that all the time. It's actually possible for you to encounter God in the way that we think can only happen like once a year, like in your bedroom. It, you don't have to wait until there's a thousand people around you to like, and again, this is one aspect of things, but like, do you feel the freedom that comes when you're like jumping during worship here? There's something different about that, right? And I want to say to you, like, again, that's one aspect of things, but, like, you can decide that you'll live that free all the time. You can decide that that's how you'll live your life, that, like, you're not waiting for an entire community of people to get free before you do. Like, you can live into the freedom that Jesus paid for every day of your life and just decide that that's how you'll live. And I think that's, like, part of what it is to say yes to revival, is to say, like, I'm not waiting for something else to happen. I'm just living into the reality of Scripture and the reality of what Jesus paid for in my life every day. I'm living with a conviction that I'm not turning back from this experience. Like, we all, like, have had conference experiences. We've all had moments where God did something in our lives, and we, like, a week later, like... I learned something at Jubilee last week. Like, decide today that that's not how you're going to live. That you're going to be a person of conviction who is just living into the reality of God every day of your life. Um, And again, like, we can see that as pretending, but it's the same thing that the Asbury student said. Like, some people said this wasn't real, but it was the realest thing I've ever experienced. And it's not about like pretending that you are feeling some type of way. It's about saying, Jesus, you are the ultimate one in my life. And so whatever it is I'm, that I'm experiencing, whatever sickness in my life, whatever like depression that comes my way, whatever stress of my life comes, I, that doesn't define me. God's goodness is what defines me. And it's not about like hiding those experiences. It's about ushering those experiences into the presence of the Lord and watching like what God wants to do whenever we do that. Um, again, common thing. The thing that we can do is to be sensitive to God and his presence. I love this quote. Um, Does the slightest breeze of God catch our attention? Like, we've heard the stories about, um, like, did God come in the fire? Did God come in the wind? No, he came in the still small voice, right? And that's how God still comes sometimes, that he is just whispering to his friends to see, like, if we're listening and to see, like, do we take him up on those small moments And I want to invite you to be someone who, whatever, like, whisper God might have for you, that it catches your attention, that when someone catches your eye as you're walking to class, that you would be the one to stop and, like, talk to that person. It's it's really, like, that simple, that we would see someone and, like, say, that person caught my eye differently. And I want to be attentive to the way that God is moving. Um, 
or like I want to be attentive to the way that I spend my time, like whatever it is, that we would be people who say yes to those moments. Um, I have been really compelled lately and rereading um, the story of the burning bush when Moses sees this burning bush and it sets his ministry up, basically. Um, And we all know that his ministry was like a dream, right? He just, like, never had people complaining or, like, just always went exactly how he imagined it to be. Um, But... God set it up in this moment of a burning bush in the wilderness. And so these moments, again, it's not about like pretending that you're not experiencing something. Moses is in the wilderness, hiding. And he sees something unique. He sees a bush burning but not being burned up. And he turns aside to it. Like, he could have kept going, right? But he turns aside. And there's an invitation to say in that moment, like, this is holy ground. Because the bush, there's a voice that comes, right? That would catch my attention for sure. If the bush didn't get it, the voice definitely. Um, But he says, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. The voice didn't say that before. Like, it became holy ground when Moses turned aside. And I want to invite you, like, I feel like there's people in this room who you get to decide, like, to reset yourself apart. And I'm not talking about, like, when I was younger, we used to, like, burn CDs and stuff when we got home from uh, retreats. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a decision to say, like, I choose to turn aside and say that my college campus is holy ground. To say that my dorm is holy ground. To set it apart and to decide that ground can actually change. Like, that's what I love about that story, that it became holy ground because Moses was having an encounter with the Lord. Because something that caught his eye shifted the experience of what he was having. And so he decided, I will answer. I will take off my shoes because this has become holy ground. And there's an invitation for you to decide that like your campus, the places where you are on campus, they become holy ground when you turn aside and say, I want to see God move here. They become holy ground when you decide it and, like, take off your shoes as a symbol, right? Like, I'm not talking about you got to walk around barefoot on campus unless unless that's what you're feeling. Uh, (laughs) um, But I'm talking about, like, a decision to turn aside in places and to say, this is now holy ground. Like, I'm not going about my day the same way anymore, Because I've decided that I'm going to be one of the people who says, I'm not leaving this place until I see God move the way he says he will. And so I just want to invite you, when you get back to campus, to like ask God the question, what does it look like for you to like have a holy ground kind of place there? Um, 
I, we do have a few minutes for questions, but I want to pray for you, and then I'll take um, a few questions. So, God, I thank you that out of small yeses, one or two people saying yes to anything that you want to do, however you want to do it, you have literally shifted nations. And so, God, today I pray that you would mark every heart in this room, that we would leave differently, that we would have uh, spaces in our lives that are set apart differently because we've decided we want to be a part of saying yes to a campus, seeing your power and your goodness in a powerful way, God. And we ask, God, do it again in our day. Would you pour out your spirit in a way that changes the way that we think, God? That changes who we are and that we can't help but be all in because the way that we've seen you. We want to see entire campuses, God, moved by your power and your kindness. Would you do it? In Jesus' name, amen.